Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Here's a question for you. What would it take to lose your trust in someone? Uh, what, what could I say? What thought could I put into your head? What, what question could I pose that would make you doubt someone? Uh, think about someone maybe in your past that has lost your trust. Uh, maybe that was a friend or a, a family member. Maybe that was a spouse, a coworker. Maybe your boss told you something and they didn't come through with it and so you lost your trust. Uh, what would it take for trust to be lost and for a relationship to be ended. You know, uh, trust is something that takes a, uh, a long time to build and a short time to lose. Uh, you, can, you can try to gain trust for decades with someone, and you could lose it all in one word, or one action, or one decision. One moment in life can destroy a lifetime of trust. Last Sunday night, the... Patriots won the Super Bowl, and uh, a lot of people hate the Patriots. Anybody hate the Patriots? Show of hands. Okay, some. <laughs> some people hate the Patriots. Uh, I've talked to some people that don't like the Patriots, and they just say this, like, they win all the time. I'm just tired of seeing them win. I don't necessarily not like them. I just want to see somebody else win. I want to see somebody else go to the game, want to see another team, hear another story. I just don't like the fact that they've won six Super Bowls since Tom Brady's been there. Uh, other people will connect it to things that the Patriots have done in the past. Uh, that organization a few years ago was accused of setting up a camera in the stadium to videotape their opponents practicing to try to learn plays and to get a little insight. A couple of years ago, their quarterback, Tom Brady, was accused of deflating the football, taking some air out of the football so that he could hold the football in such a way that it would make him be able to throw it further and have some more accuracy in, in cold weather. And so some people, just something that happened years ago, something that one person on the team did, they say, I can't stand that team because they're dishonest. You can't trust them. They're always trying to cheat. They've been caught before. What would it take for you to lose your trust in someone? Think back to the 2016 election. Two weeks before the election, Hillary Clinton was winning by a long shot in all of the polls. And the director of the FBI reopened a case that said she had a secret email on a server that could not be tracked, that no one knew that she was using. And then in the next two weeks, her numbers tanked. Donald Trump got elected the president in the exit polls. When they asked people why they didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, they said, we can't trust her. And that one act cost her the presidency just because she lost trust with so many people. I don't know if you've turned the news on in the past week, but the whole state of Virginia is on fire right now because their governor was found out that when he was in college, he dressed up in blackface and a picture in his yearbook has surfaced and people from all over are calling on his resignation 
mean, just a few months ago, the majority of the state wanted him to be the governor. Now the majority is calling on him to resign. What would it take for you to lose your trust in someone? What would that mean? What kind of ramifications would that mean? Sometimes it just takes a little bit. Sometimes it just takes an accusation against somebody. Isn't that crazy? It doesn't even have to be real. An accusation can be leveled against someone and you can lose your trust. Speaking of Virginia, if the governor gets voted out, then the lieutenant governor then becomes the governor. Well, in the past week, there's been an accusation against the lieutenant governor of Virginia of sexual misconduct from two different women, one of them claiming that they were raped by the lieutenant governor a few years ago. And that's just an accusation. It hasn't been proven yet. It hasn't gone to court. And, and the majority of the country, Democrats and Republicans alike, are calling for this guy to step down and resign immediately. And the word is, we can't trust you to fulfill the position that you were elected to do. Even an accusation against someone, it hasn't even been proven yet. Even that can cause people to lose their trust and lose, lose everything. One of the ways that the religious people wanted to discredit the gospel, they, they hated this message of Jesus. They hated that, that there was freedom apart from religion. And so one of the ways they decided they were going to try to destroy the gospel was they were going to try to destroy Paul. They were going to try to break the trust between Paul and all of these churches that he had planted. If there was a way that these guys could get the churches to lose their trust in Paul, then maybe they would lose their trust in Jesus. And unfortunately, this happens in American churches all the time. You hear about churches that are doing well and growing and reaching a ton of people and then the pastor gets accused of sexual misconduct or embezzling money or abusing power. Something goes on and, and the church splits over it. The community is devastated over it. And, and then people begin to question. Well, I mean, if, if he did that, then how can we trust him? And if he was living a lie with everything that he did, then what about all that stuff he said about God and Jesus and the Bible and the importance of all those things? I mean, if we can't trust him in this area, then maybe all of those things that he said was a lie. Maybe he's just a fraud. Maybe he's just a fake. I've seen people walk away from Jesus, walk away from the church, turn their back on God because they lost their trust in someone here, some Christian, some leader, some pastor made a mistake and people end up bearing the burden for that and, and walking away. What would it take for you to lose your trust in someone? In the, in the first half, or in the second half of Galatians chapter one, Paul is actually gonna address some of these things. People have been saying some things about him. He's not smart, nobody likes him. You know he never went to school. You know he's not one of the original 12 disciples. You know that, right? You know Jesus never picked him. You know, he, he what, even when Judas died and they were looking for a replacement for the 12 disciples, you know they didn't choose Paul, right? You know that, right? He's just real. In Jerusalem, around the religious folk, you know nobody likes him in Jerusalem. You know that, right? And so they begin to try to breed this distrust in the people, and Paul is gonna talk about this really just by sharing his story. And I think today it's gonna to be one of, the, one of the more practical aspects for us because Paul is gonna make this claim. When we read today, you're gonna to realize something. If you have a desire to be a man or a woman of impact, if you want your life to matter, if you're gonna make the decision 
that God has a plan and a purpose in your life, then you're gonna have to address some things. Like the the moment that you decide to take a bold step in your walk with, with Jesus, the moment that you decide that you want your life to matter, that you wanna make a difference and you wanna be a man or a woman of impact, Paul says there's some things that you need to know or you'll never make it. And so just meticulously through Paul's story, he just ticks off. I want to share with you six things, six things that Paul says. And I'm I'm asking you guys, do you want to be a man or a woman of impact? Like, do you want to walk in the purpose that God has for your life? Like, do you want your life to matter and make a difference and be about something more than just yourself? Paul says, then these are the things that you're going to have to watch out for. And Paul shares his story in hopes that he can challenge the church to make a difference and to live the life that God had called him to do. In verse 10, we'll just pick up where we left off last week. Verse 10, Paul starts out with this. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The first thing, you want your life to matter. If you are gonna be a man or a woman of influence and impact, and make a difference, to walk in the purpose that God's called you to do, you gotta choose this. The approval of people or the approval of God. You gotta choose that. You're gonna choose that every day. Either I am living my life for the approval of people or I'm living my life for the approval of God. Here's what Proverbs 29 says. It says, the fear of man is a snare, it's a trap. But the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. So many people in the world orchestrate everything they say and everything they do on will people like it? Will they accept me? Will I be in on the in crowd? Will they laugh at me? Will they hang out with me? Will they be my friend? What will they think of me when I hear that? And Paul makes it really clear that as followers of Jesus, we gotta choose. We gotta choose. Who are you living your life for? Who matters the most? What do you want to do? Are you going to live your life for the approval of man or live your life for the approval of God? Here's here's the problem, though. I want to challenge you. If you're struggling with this, like, approval of of man or approval of humanity, like, everything you do, you want people to approve you and and affirm you and say you're doing great and you're, you're going down the right path. Here's the problem with that. The problem with worrying about what people say and think about you is that often they are wrong, They're wrong about what's needed. They're wrong about the situation. They're wrong about what you can do and who you are. They're wrong about the possibilities of God doing something incredible in your life. They're just wrong. Like It it wouldn't be so bad to want to impress people and affirm people if they were right. But unfortunately, they're wrong. I'll give you some examples. Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. His idea was, I've got to figure out a way to to get this this letter system where you have to type a letter or send a telegram to someone. I've got to figure out a way for voices to be heard through a wire where someone can pick up a phone that he invented and, and talk to someone on the other side of the country. And everybody told him it wouldn't work. Everybody told him it was impossible. Well, he actually invented it. He invented the first telephone where he talked to his assistant from one side of the house to the other all the way through a wire, and they could hear each other's voice. Well, Alexander Graham Bell went up to Western Union, the company that owned and operated the system of telegraphs. You know, where you just like Morse code, where you tap them in and, and then somebody else writes it down. Yeah, that's them. He came up and said, I've, I've invented it. I have it. 
This is the tele, it's an invention called the telephone, and he offered to sell it to Western Union. And here's the quote from Western Union. The telephone is an electrical toy with no commercial possibilities. We, say, we see no way in which business can be enhanced by the telephone. And they were wrong. <laughs> the telephone revolutionized the world and no one sends telegraphs anymore. If Alexander Graham Bell would have paid attention on the approval of man, then we wouldn't have the telephone today. Here's another example. Henry Ford's trying to convince his banker friend, or no, his lawyer friend, to invest in his company. He said, I've invented this thing called the automobile. It's the Model T is what I'm going to call it. And, and here's the deal, man. I've even created a system in which we can build cars quicker. It's called the assembly line. I just need somebody to invest in it. So the lawyer went to his banker and said, hey, I got a friend of mine. He's talking Model T, automobiles. I'm sure you've heard of them before. He says he can make them for cheap so that everyone can one day have a car. Do you think this is a good investment? And the banker looked at the lawyer, and here's the quote. The automobile is just a fad. The horse is here to stay. The problem with listening with people is the majority of the time they're wrong. Last one, Vincent Van Gogh, one of the most popular painters and artists in our history. Did you realize that uh, when he was alive, he did not sell a single one of his paintings? Everyone looked at them and said, these are terrible. This isn't art. This is, what is this? This is trash. And tragically, Vincent Van Gogh committed suicide without having sold a single one of his paintings because the world convinced him that he was worthless and that he would never amount to anything. In the year 1990, a Vincent Van Gogh portrait sold for $86 million and today is valued at $152 million, going down as the most expensive painting to ever be sold at auction. You want to know the problem about listening to people and gaining their approval? Most of the time, they're wrong. (laughs) So what are you going to do? Are you going to spend your life seeking the approval of people who have proven over the majority of their life and over the majority of humanity that they have no idea what they're talking about and they are completely wrong most of the time? Or are you going to put your faith and trust in God who's never wrong, who's never changed, who has a plan for your life and has a purpose for you and a calling that he's asking you to walk into? Which one are you gonna do? Paul says if you're gonna be a man or a woman of impact, You cannot live your life worried about what other people think about you and addicted to the affirmation and the hand claps and the pats on the back of what you believe is is good and what you say and what you do and everything about you is good. You're, You're on the right track. Why would you waste your time on a bunch of people that are wrong most of the time? Paul said, I had to make a choice early on in my life. Either I'm gonna choose to please man or I'm gonna choose to please God and you see where I've made my my choice. Now, Paul faced a lot of persecution for that. Obviously, these guys are coming into his church that he planted and like stirring stuff up and saying bad things about him, making accusations up, trying to create division, which brings us to the second point. If you want to be a man or a woman of impact, if you want to walk in the purpose that God has for you, I need you, I need you to understand this. People of impact will always face opposition. People of impact, the the moment you decide you want your life to matter, you will face opposition. Fulfilling your calling and encountering opposition go hand in hand. Like as soon as you make that decision, 
As soon as you decide to make an impact and to walk in the purpose that God has for you, being opposed and being used always go together. The reason why I think Paul wanted his church to know this is because this is a pattern for followers of Jesus. People get excited about finding out I have a purpose, I know the purpose and the calling that God has for me, and they begin to walk in that, and then all of a sudden, something happens. There's a barrier, there's a hardship, there's a problem. And then people are like, wait, I I, I thought it was going to be easy. I I thought it was going to be fun. I thought as long as you followed God, he'd give you everything you wanted and your life would be full of blessings and I wouldn't have these problems. I mean, I started following Jesus and now I got all these problems. I started being generous and now this comes up. I started giving of myself and now I'm faced with this barrier and they're saying these things and here's the problem that I have. And and Paul says this, like in, in essence, Paul says you can't deflect what you can't detect. And there are some things that you need to be aware of. I worked hard on that rhyme. There are some things you need to be aware of that if you don't know that they're coming, you won't be able to push them away. And that's the problem with so many Christians. They get hit or punched or beat and like it's up, they're up against the wall and they're uncomfortable and they're like, oh man, like once that happens, they get surprised by it, then they get angry by it and then they walk away from God because they didn't realize that that was part of it. And if you want to make an impact, you're going to face some opposition. And Paul wanted to bring that out because, man, I want you to be looking for it. This has probably happened to you. It happens to me every year. I don't know why I haven't learned from it yet. But there'll be a time where I'm at the beach during the summer, and we'll take the family out to the beach, and it's a cloudy day, right? And uh, because it's cloudy, Elizabeth's like, you want to put some sunscreen on? I'm like, no, nah, don't worry about it. It's cloudy. It's, it's, there's no sun out today. You don't have to worry about sunscreen. So I'm out there frolicking. Uh, no sunscreen on. It's a great day because it's not blazing hot. It's a little bit windy. And so we're out there for three or four hours. And I'm feeling good. And, and then when I get in the car to drive home, like my back hits the seat and it feels like the seat's on fire, but actually my back's on fire. And I get to the house and like I'm completely red. I'm like, what happened? And Elizabeth's like, I told you. Just because you can't see the sun doesn't mean that you're not getting sunburned. You, if you can't detect it, then you can't deflect it. And Paul's like, man, I, I don't want you guys to come in from being a man or a woman of purpose and realize, hey, man, this is hard. I didn't even know that was coming because if you know it's coming, then you can prepare yourself for it. It won't catch you by surprise. It won't make you angry. It won't make you turn your back on the faith. In fact, Paul's going to argue that sometimes the opposition that you face is actually validation for the mission that you're on. Like if you're not facing some sort of opposition, if life isn't difficult in certain seasons, I would argue it's probably because your life isn't making much of a difference. It's probably because you are living a life that is so safe and so just about you that nobody actually cares. Paul says, you want to make a decision and make an impact, then you're going to face opposition. We automatically, I want to challenge you on this. There's a possibility that some of the opposition that you're going through right now is not a result of what you're doing wrong, but a result of what you're doing right. Like, and we automatically equate opposition with, oh, well, I've made a mistake, I'm walking in disobedience, like I'm doing something wrong because now there's a hardship or a hurdle or there's some opposition or I'm having some trouble in my life. Maybe, like Paul, that's a result of you actually doing the right thing 
and not you doing the wrong thing. If you want to be a man or a woman of impact, you will face opposition. You will be going against the flow. Don't automatically assume that opposition in life means you're doing something wrong. Maybe that's just what it's going to take in order for you to walk in the purpose that God has for you. Uh, Verse 11, he keeps going. He, He tells us his story. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. You you probably heard some stories about who Paul used to be. You can read his story in Acts chapter 9. How intensely I persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy the church. And I was advancing in Judaism, this religion, beyond many of my own age among my people. And I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I loved the rules. I loved following the rules. I loved enforcing the rules. I loved helping make up new rules. That was Paul. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human beings. Powerful story of Paul's conversion and Paul loved to tell his story, and you can find it throughout Scripture, and it's the third thing that I want you to understand. I think some people in here are discounting this aspect of their life, but the third thing I want you to know is there's power in telling your story. There's power in telling your story. See, when you tell your story of who you are and what God has done, where you were and how you are different now, what God is doing in your life and what God has called you to do, then here's what happens. When other people hear that story, it challenges and encourages them. You don't know who in the church of Galatia was facing persecution. And when Paul says, hey, look, I've been there. I understand it. I know how you feel. We're going to get through this. We can do this together. Stay focused on the goal. It will not last forever. Like, think about the encouragement that would have been for someone that was struggling, for someone that was hurting at that moment, just to be able to hear Paul's story. Maybe he hears Paul's story. Somebody hears Paul's story and say, well, shoot, man, if God can change that guy's life, then he can definitely do it in mine. Like, Paul was crazy. He killed Christians. Man, I haven't done half of that, so maybe I got a chance. Maybe I ought to think about it. Maybe Maybe I ought to consider what God could do in my life. But another thing that actually happens when you tell your story to other people is it encourages you. Man, when you take a moment to step back and verbalize what God has done for you, it's like you are, you are teaching that truth back to your own self. You remind, oh yeah, that's right, God did do that. Oh wow, and man, remember that time that my back was up against the wall and I asked God and he delivered? Remember that time when I prayed those prayers and life was so hard or there was such a big obstacle in front of me and I prayed those prayers and God came through and God said yes and God helped me and God provided and God saved that person and God redeemed my marriage and God provided a job and God answered time and time and time again. And after you hear your own story, you walk away fired up. You walk away challenged and encouraged by that. But if you were anything like I was as a young Christian, I, I had a default. Like, I, I, If you would have told me my story mattered and there was power in it, I would have told you, no, it didn't. You want to know why? Because I've never done drugs my whole life. I've never been a prostitute. 
Now you hear some people and their stories are like, when I turned nine years old, I started doing heroin in middle school and in the elementary school and then like I got smuggled across the border for human trafficking and like you won't believe what the things I've seen and the things that I've done and then like in the middle of my darkest time, God saved me and redeemed me and like rescued me and now here I am, I'm a pastor traveling around the world teaching people about Jesus. That's not my story. Like I like that guy's story. But my story, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in church my whole life. And when I was 10 years old, my dad told me that a relationship with God was more than just following the rules, but that actually know who God was. And at 10 years old, my dad helped me know who Jesus was, and I gave my life to him. Boring. (laughs) Wah, wah. Like, I don't even have that. And then I went to middle school, and I went off the deep end and doing crazy things. But then I finally came back. Like, I don't even have that. Like, I followed Jesus my whole life. Pretty boring. And so maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't have a good story. Nobody wants to hear my story. I don't have a story. I I haven't killed anybody. Uh, I haven't been to jail. I haven't done many drugs. There's a lot of stuff that a lot of other people have done that would be a great story. Can I just remind you of what your story is? Uh, You were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. You were separated from God, but now you are an adopted son or daughter of God. You were eternally separated from God because of your sins, but now not only do you have hope in eternity, but you have hope now. Can I just remind you? That's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a good story. It's not as boring as you think it is when you think about all that God has done for you. And when you think about how your life has changed, there's so much power in your story. What Jesus has done for you is a big deal that could challenge and help so many people if you would embrace the fact that there is a lot of power in your story. So Paul tells his story, and then he tells us what happens after he meets Jesus, after his life is changed by Jesus. We read this in the first part of verse 17. I did not go up to Jerusalem, to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Paul says, when I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Jerusalem where I could study under the 12 apostles. I didn't get some major degree. I didn't have a bunch of street cred. Like I didn't plant a church, and in two years, it was 25,000 people. I didn't get some superstar job. Like, Peter didn't call me and say, hey, Paul, we got an opening for you. We'd love for you to be a part of the 12. We'd love for you to do something crazy. We'd love for you to be a part of our team. Come on up here. Come to Jerusalem. It's where all the cool religious people hang out. Come on, it's where all the movers and shakers are in Christianity. Come on. You know where Paul says he went? Arabia. So if you've ever seen Aladdin, you know what Arabia is. It's the desert. There's nothing there. No fame, no glory in Arabia, just sand and camels and a giant lion that will swallow you into the sand. One of the most important and impactful and influential people in the history of Christianity, as soon as he got saved, he went to the wilderness. He went into the middle of the desert. The fourth thing I want you to write down is this. Paul, I love that he included that in there. Um, number four is this, roots, then fruit, right? Roots, then fruits in your life. 
Everybody loves fruits. Everyone loves results. Everyone wants to see what's next and be able to experience great things. And Paul says, before I preached a single sermon, before I planted a single church, before I wrote a single chapter of the Bible, I spent time in the desert by myself, in the wilderness. No fame, no glory, no one knew who I was, no big contracts, no book deals, no superstar pastor speaking on a stage under the lights, no conferences for me. I simply went to Arabia, and Paul understood that his time away was not punishment, but it was God actually preparing him. Did you know that if you're going to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be, that you're not ready right now? Did you know that there are some things that God actually wants to do in you before he can do something through you? There's some growth that needs to happen. There's some progress that needs to be made. There are some things that have to be done. Some of it is painful pruning. Some of the things that have to be removed from your life before you can be effective in what God has called you to do. And Paul describes his time in Arabia. He says there was some time before I could do anything that resulted in any kind of fruit. There had to be a time where God showed me what it means to grow some roots in my faith. There had to be a time of testing and learning and purifying. I mean, the guy, a couple of days earlier, he was killing Christians. And God said, there's some things that I wanna do in your heart and in your life. I've heard this so many times from people, the times in life where we learn and grow are during the hardships, not the victories. Think about what God could have done in Paul's heart in the middle of the desert with no distractions away from all of the fame and fortune and glory, away from all of the religious people in Jerusalem that were claiming how important they were and how much they had in their life. And now Paul spends time developing his roots. The way a skyscraper is built, way before the the building is built up, the building is built down. The foundations are drilled. Huge pipes go hundreds of feet down into the earth, even before they can build the first floor. And maybe you're discouraged a little bit because you're ready to see some big fruit and you're ready to see some floors added to the skyscraper that God is building in your life and maybe God is still drilling down because before there's fruit, there's always roots. The time that Paul spent in Arabia, before you can become a man or a woman of influence, then God must first impact and influence you. After he spent that time in the wilderness, second part of verse 17, he says, later I returned to Damascus. If you know any part of Paul's story, you know the significance of Damascus. Warrant in his hand. Damascus in Acts chapter nine is where Paul was headed with a warrant in his hand to arrest and murder any Christian that he found. Anyone that claimed to follow Jesus, anyone that claimed to worship the way, the truth, and life, anyone that he found in the temples there worshiping in Damascus, he had a right and an intention to kill, legally kill them. And in God's hand and plan in getting Paul to the place they needed him to be, he says the next stop is Damascus. The fifth point is this. Sometimes God will bring you back to your biggest failures to remind you of the greatest works that he's done in you. Sometimes God will remind you of your biggest mistakes so that you can be reminded of him and his grace. Sometimes you can go back to your lowest point and God says, now see what I can do with your life. 
See how I've changed you. See what happens. It's full circle, man. Even in the darkest and toughest moments, God is still using crooked sticks to draw straight lines. How amazing would it have been for Paul to go back to the very place where he was on the way to murder Christians and then for God to send him back to Damascus and say, now this is the place where you're going to preach the gospel. This is the place where you're going to make an impact. 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. So we get a little insight. He went to Jerusalem. He said, man, I want to try to get a job. I want to try to get a church. I want to try to be a pastor. He said, not a single one of the apostles would even meet with me, except Peter. I hung out with him for 15 days, and at the end of the 15 days, I asked him for a job, and he said, no. I wanted to be a part of the team, and he said, no, there's no room for, there's nothing for you to do here. One of the accusations against Paul was he's not a good guy. He's not one of the 12. He's not one of the fathers of the church. He never hung out with Jesus. He doesn't even live on the right side of town. And so scripture says that he went back to Syria and Cilicia. Insight into this is this is Paul's hometown. He went back home. The only thing that we know about Paul's journey in Cilicia, in Syria, is that he stayed there for seven years, and when he was there, he built tents. Didn't have a church, didn't have a stage, didn't have a book deal. He had a a regular job. But scripture tells us that during that time, he was faithful to tell everyone that would listen about Jesus. Everyone that would listen, he would tell his story. The last thing I want to leave you with is this Uh, Present faithfulness always leads to future opportunities. Present faithfulness leads to future opportunities. We understand from Paul's story that he took every opportunity he had to encourage people, to preach the gospel, even before any of his fame, before anyone knew his name, he was faithful with a little. I wonder what little opportunity you have in front of you this morning that you need to be faithful with. If you're going to be a man or a woman of impact, stop waiting on a title, stop waiting on a position or a promotion. Start being faithful where you are right now. Look at what's in your hand and be faithful with what you have right now and watch how God opens up the doors for future opportunities. Last two verses, 22, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. They didn't even know my name, man. Paul who? They said that we just know there's this guy, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. That's really weird for us to hear that there was a moment in time where the name Paul was not known by Christians. Like Even people outside of the church, you say Paul, right? The apostle Paul, the Saint Paul, however you phrase it. Like, man, people even outside of the church know who Paul is. They know he wrote some of the New Testament. They know he was a follower of Jesus, that he started a bunch of churches, that he's like a pillar in the Christian faith. But here in these verses, he says, Paul said, early on, man, nobody even knew my name. You know what they knew, though? Jesus. That was the man that used to kill Christians, And his life is now changed by Jesus. That was the guy that we used to be scared of. 
And now he's preaching his guts out so that people will know who Jesus is. That was the guy who, if you ever heard his name as a Christian before he met Jesus, you would run because he would kill you. And I don't know what his name is now, but all I know is that he's following Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There seems to be no one in human history that hated Jesus more than Paul did until he met him. And at that very moment, his life changed. It was all Jesus. Paul closes the story by saying, hey, you want to know who the hero of the story is? Jesus. You want to know who the hero of my life is? Jesus. You want to know what it's all about for me? Jesus. You want to know why I'm here today? Jesus. If you want to be a man or a woman of impact, if you want to live and walk in the purpose that God has for you, that's got to be your story. Not who you are and what you've done, but Jesus. I am who I am today because of Jesus. I have what I have because of the graciousness of Jesus and the generosity of God in my life. God is better at saving than we are at sinning. That's our story. Paul said later on in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, he said, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the chief. I am the top sinner. No one sinned more than me. And my story is that there was a man that came down to earth to die for people like me, to save people like me. And if you want to know anything about my story, if you want to know what makes Paul a man or a woman of impact, he'd be a man of impact. Then you don't need to look any further except Jesus. Paul wanted you to know that this morning, that it was all about him.